I remember meeting with a leader in a Cambodian community group in South Philly, talking to him about our plans for an anthrax attack. Well, he didn't care about that. He cared about diabetes, right? So we came up with a health bulletin in 17 different languages where we provided um, information to those organizations on a routine basis. But in an emergency, we would have those stakeholders to reach out to and they would trust us. Hi, this is Dan Baum, host of Redefine You. Thanks for joining us as we continue our series exploring how we redefine in the face of a pandemic. Public health is a discipline we're hearing a lot about lately. But what is public health? How can we, who are not public health practitioners, contribute to the health of our communities? And what can the discipline and experience of public health professionals teach us about redefining ourselves? This week, we'll talk with Debbie Hammond, Assistant Professor in the Department of Health, Fitness and Exercise Studies and coordinator of the public health program at Anne Arundel Community College. Debbie will share her past experience, current perspective, and how community is the very essence of public health. Today, we're joined by Debbie Hammond, a faculty member in health, fitness, and exercise studies and coordinator for the public health program. Welcome, Professor Hammond. Thank you, Dan. Thanks for having me. How are you doing during this pandemic? Oh, that's a big question. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes, it is. Um, I think about that all the time. Every day is a new day. And I'll say that there's kind of a lot of emotions every day. I do have uh, my husband and my two elementary age children home at this time. Mm, so we're okay. um, kind of navigating their online learning now. So they're becoming very early online learners. So I go from having feelings of a little bit of frustration and overwhelm to also kind of exhilarating, I will say, which may seem strange, but um, because I'm in public health and I have a background in public health, I see people reaching out to each other. So I think that can be, for me, sort of exhilarating. I'm seeing so much work in public health. Yeah. Um, but then I'm also, you know, in times when I'm really frustrated, I have to remember how grateful I am for having having a job, having my needs met right now. I mean, really, I cannot be complaining at all. Yeah, I understand. Thank you for that. And as a public health professional, you bring a lot of expertise and and a, a wonderful perspective, which I want to explore further. Uh, but before that, I understand you're bilingual uh, as well. So I also should have said bienvenido. Yeah, um, gracias. So let's let's start there. With the public schools being closed, there's limited information for Spanish-speaking families, correct? Um, so tell me a little bit about your experience with that, what you see going on there. So um, we, we know that we have a growing amount of English language learners in our county, in our state, and around the country. My children, for example, go to um, a Title I school where 50 to 60 percent of the students are English language learners. So at a time when we're everything's so quickly changing and, and the um, the guidelines are changing, I think it was a little tricky to keep up with those messages. I mean, there's just so many changes for all of us that are English speakers that you can only imagine that additional challenge for those that that are still learning the language. So I think videos help because there's also a lot of literacy issues in English or Spanish. So then you need the videos to be translated. Right. And I will say it's gotten better. So now we're at a point where I think 
We've seen a lot of community organizations come together. Um, the school systems partnering with the health department and the county executive's office and city of Annapolis. And there's been some really cool connections that are helping to meet the needs of those communities. Normally a faith-based leader might be where they would get information and, but people are not meeting in churches or places of worship. So I know a lot of people are still lacking information and it's just kind of unveils you know, what we need to work on when we're not in this situation, like post-pandemic. Yeah. Well, it seems like so many parts of the county, uh, right here with our college, mm -hmm. of course, nation, nationwide, even worldwide, people are coming together to help one another. Um, so in what ways are you seeing that in the Hispanic community? You said uh, in a lot of ways, it's been the faith-based organization in the past, but what mm -hmm. ways are you seeing that uh, people coming together in the Hispanic community to help one another? So I actually was... Um, invited to join, like there's a new Facebook group that was started um, by the Hispanic community in Annapolis. Well, it's actually a lot of people are posting things related to the whole county, mm -hmm. whether it's posting, I have this pantry of food. Um, mm. Here is a link to how to make a mask. They're posting videos in Spanish that they found from other areas. That's been a really cool resource. That group grew exponentially mm. from when it first started. It's been about like two weeks now that it's been open. That's great. And, and um, last week we spoke to Tracy Ballard, who coordinates our service learning. And you're also involved in service learning. I understand you had a student who noticed the similar issue, what you're talking about, of, of getting communication out to um, Spanish-speaking communities. So mm -hmm. what, what was the problem that the student saw and, and how did she go about solving it? Sure. Yes. Um, a student in sort of our capstone public health course, health promotion and health education. She worked in a healthcare setting. Um, she's bilingual herself as um, Latina and serving a lot of patients. I think she said 75% of the patients were English language learners. And this was a few weeks ago, but she was noting that people just seemed to not really have the information about what was going on, didn't really know about social distancing, didn't really understand the virus. And so having a little bit of background in public health through our program, you know, she went on the CDC website and, and found translated documents and like posted them up around the office so that people could be more educated. Since she's really felt a lot of drive to help the Annapolis um, Hispanic population at this time. And she's finally decided on uh, working with the food bank. And I know she she wanted to do this. She has been involved with some of the distribution sites and she is interpreting at those to help people to get messages when during those distributions. I know she's told me that she's translated documents for churches and faith-based organizations at this time. So she's kind of pulling together different ways that she's helping to serve the community with health information at this time. And that's, to me, is like such an important piece of public health. That's great. That's really good. Well, since you teach public health, this is your field. You said in some ways it's almost exhilarating for you because <laughs> we are living what you do and teach. Uh, when I was in college, we used the term mode of inquiry to describe how a particular profession sees the world. So how do public health professionals see the world? In what way do they look at the current situation? You know, what I found is people, when I run into people, they'll say, oh, wow, you're going to stay and work now, or, oh, this is really your thing and public health. And 
yeah, of course, we're all hearing the word public health and epidemiology every day, but there's a lot of public health work that's going on all the time. It's just now it's sort of, you know, we're in emergency. And so the general public, everybody's hearing about it and, and getting on board. So I think for public health professionals, it's like, well, there is this syndromic surveillance. There is a lot of health education, maybe not on a communicable disease like COVID-19, but in preventing um, diabetes and health education and policies related to that, policies related to um, physical education in schools or policies related to uh, preventing overdose or preventing death from overdose with the naloxone training. So public health is really going on all the time. It's just right now we have a it's obviously a pandemic, right? So it's not just an outbreak. It's not just an epidemic. This is a pandemic, which means it's it's global. And we're putting those efforts at the forefront. But we got to remember that there's also a lot of other health issues that still need to be taken care of. And that's why we have this whole conversation about, you know, lowering the curve, because otherwise our healthcare system is just going to be overwhelmed. I mean, we still have people dying of heart disease, right? That's the number one um, killer. You still have overdose deaths. And and what's interesting in teaching my courses, and I now go to different resources where students might be going, like whether it's a CDC website or like a womenshealth.gov or related to eating disorders, they're going to have special information uh, about how do you manage your disease right now in this scenario with under COVID-19. You have experience in previous roles uh, with the Departments of Health in both Baltimore and Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit about that. I understand you you oversaw some disaster preparedness and you said you've worked with uh, uh, vulnerable populations. Tell me a little bit about your experiences there. So yes, after I finished graduate school, I really had a strong interest in international health. I had lived in um, Honduras and Spain and actually my work in Honduras really got me interested in public health to begin with. But I got a, a position working for the public health preparedness and response team uh, in Philadelphia Health Department. And my specific role was making sure our plans accommodated or um, covered the needs of vulnerable populations. So that means individuals that may be English language learners or um, deaf, hard of hearing, blind, homeless. So what that involved was a lot of outreach and networking with those stakeholders in those communities. So that was a lot of my planning there. And then I did, when I moved down to Baltimore, I did similar planning also with the strategic national stockpile that you'll hear about right now in the news um, and how that would be disseminated to the points of dispensing, et cetera. So what did those experiences teach you or, or what lessons do you feel were learned that might apply to our current situation most? Mm-hmm. I think kind of going back to what I talked about before, and now we're seeing like the county working so closely with community organizations and really using community organizations as a way to reach people. I mean, what I absolutely learned in my role was the importance of meeting people where they are. So I guess at this time, I think this is a great opportunity and we're seeing it all around us of people reaching out to each other, bringing more people into their network um, to find ways to help each other. Yeah. Along those lines, what are the ways that others might help or get involved if they're not part of some of these organizations you're talking about? So in terms of helping, um, I think, you know, again, a lot of it is we're relying on social media. I think that's like a, a, 
a great way to be able to share things. So just yesterday I shared with my neighborhood group that this food pantry needs support, even if it's just paper bags. So we can see what needs are and share that or do our own donating if we can. You know, obviously the food bank has the great needs right now. Um, YWCA as well. We're seeing an increase in domestic violence right now. Mm. Um, so YWCA would be a great place to, to, to donate. We hear a lot about fight or flight as the primary way of responding to stress, but there's been more research. Shelley Taylor was a psychologist. Um, she found that women were not responding to stress by fleeing or fighting. In fact, um, a lot of times there's this urge to uh, what she coined as tend or befriend. So like tending to children or people in need and then befriending kind of creating the social contact. Hmm. And we have what's oxytocin. It's sort of this feel good hormone that you get when you have a long hug. Um, but you also get that in the stress response, which leads you to do that tending women and men, right? They've, they're actually did a lot of research on women, but, um, they're finding that, um, it's something that is released in men as well. And it can be beneficial to actually do that tending and, and befriending. And so what you could do right now in terms of helping is to, um, you know, reach out to people maybe you haven't heard from or reach out to a friend in need. You know, we're all kind of in this together. Yeah. And we often hear that, that caregivers don't get enough care themselves because mm. as in your words, they're tending and befriending. So yeah. well, where, where do you turn for help and support? I will say, so I find myself still reaching out to others and that helps me with feeling connected, right? I am a, I'm an extrovert. And so this has been challenging. I reach out to students this morning. I did a couple videos, just getting, giving them more resources, checking in with them. I, I will say that in terms of one stress reliever I found new is that my family started to play soccer in the backyard and uh -huh. um it gives a good a lot of good laughs because i'm not a soccer player so i'm getting better <laughs> but um we get a lot of laughs with the family and it's you just it's amazing how much better you feel after 15 minutes of running around and laughing yeah and we're all learning new things in this environment yeah. um well the outside world's forcing us to change in many ways you referenced that at the very beginning of our conversation how how would you say that we're redefining ourselves in these times Wow. I think, you know, we're doing maybe more looking inward and what are, you know, our true values? What are the things that brought us to where we are today? What are the things that are important to us? You know, I'm finding that what's important to me is, you know, physical activity, reaching out to other people and starting to do more art. Um, so I think it's giving us uh, an opportunity to really think about what's most important, what we value most, where we might want to help most and to care for others. And would you say you're redefining yourself too? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. In, in what way? Well, finding new um, creative ways to reach students, um, creative ways to engage with my children and my family and, you know, really learning what they truly like to do and what I truly like to do. So I think that this really unique time in our lives is enabling us to see what we truly enjoy and what's important to us. Well, Debbie, thank you so much for spending time with us and sharing your insights. Take care and be well. Thank you, Ben.
people all around us are struggling in different ways and to different degrees. Like good public health practitioners, we should meet people where they are. There are those in our community who need a job or a place to live. Others need encouragement to connect or have a good laugh. We talked in our last episode about ways to volunteer while staying home. Professor Debbie Hammond echoed some of Service Learning Coordinator Tracy Ballard's advice, adding that the more we expand our networks, the more opportunities we can find to help and be helped. Everyone has something that has changed, and when we reach out, it brings us together in a beautiful way. Redefine You is a production of Anne Arundel Community College. Our executive producer is Allison Baumbush, our producer is Jeremiah Pravat, and our writer, Amy Carr Willard. Others who help with this podcast include Amanda Behrens, Angie Hamlet, Ben Pierce, and Alicia Renahan. Special thanks to Professor Debbie Hammond. Find show notes, how to subscribe, and other extras on our website, aacc.edu slash podcast. I'm your host and creator of this podcast, Dan Baum. Thanks for listening.